Cineboys to Cinemen, episode seven. Hello. Hello there. Uh, pancake day at yeah. the time of recording today. Absolutely. So a uh, happy belated pancake day. Yes. <laughs> Unless I somehow get this edited like as I get home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <It'd> be better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, welcome to another episode. Today we are going to be talking about uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Yes. I still struggle with the title. It's such a dreadful title. But yeah, it's not great. Marvel's uh, opening film for Phase 5. Yeah, uh, is it Phase 5? Phase 5, I think, yeah. yeah Taking their cinematic behemoth into territory anew. Mm. Uh, we'll be talking about that alongside a discussion about Disney. Because we alluded a couple of episodes ago to wanting to discuss that, and this felt like the perfect opportunity, as yeah. obviously Disney own Marvel. And then we'll discuss Marvel also, mm. as why not? Yeah. <laughs> uh, as it's something that we've sort of swerved around dipped our toes in a little bit but we wanted to do at least one episode where we sort of meet it head on yeah uh and then of course the film mm. as mentioned earlier will be i mean you know i think given the nature of the film it'll probably be the smallest part of the, of the discussion uh as i mean i I just so numb to the film i yeah i don't think i have a lot to say about it so it's probably best to keep it Short and sweet. Short and sweet. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, we'll just be re- repeating ourselves quite. Yeah, a lot. yeah. I mean, I, I think, yeah, you're sort of getting the tone maybe that we're not as keen on the film, but we'll save that for the for the main chunk of the discussion. Yeah. But uh, sit back, relax. Again, another pretty lengthy episode or lengthy episode. Yeah. And uh, let us take you on a journey, a cinematic journey into the the quantum realm, as it were. As it were. <laughs> right. <laughs> So then, uh, as promised, a Disney discussion. Yes. I think it's important to sort of acknowledge the first part of that Disney's popularity, which would be really difficult to ignore, is the nostalgia element. Mm. Uh, obviously, we talked about that already in a previous episode. I know that at some points throughout the discussion, it's inevitably going to come up. Yeah. Because it's, you know, as we discussed previously, a huge part of the reason why it is so popular. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think for the benefit of this discussion and sort of driving into fresh territory, I'm going to try and avoid it as much as possible. Okay. As much as is feasibly possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> we really talk, we talk about nostalgia a lot, but I it, it always seems to come up, but that's there's, there's a reason for that. Yeah, I mean, it's the sign of the time, isn't it? I yeah. Mean, we, we say this pretty much every episode, that it is just the, the sort of the main attraction of the moment, I think, alongside superhero films yeah. and uh, these big genre films. You know, most of it is born out of nostalgia, isn't it? So it, it makes sense to mention it, but I think for the sake of the episode, we'll try and steer away. Mm. With that in mind, I'm going to take a sort of wild stab in the dark at trying to pinpoint the reason for Disney's success in terms of their cinematic output, whilst avoiding nostalgia. <laughs> um, and I think a, sort of a large portion of it is down to the way Disney films present a simplistic view of morality. Okay. So, for example, the vast majority of Disney film characters, good and bad, are distinctively good and bad. Yeah, okay, I agree. So there isn't really a lot of grey. No. There's no grey areas, I mean, between them. Mm. Um, you know, you've got the distinctly evil characters, distinctly good characters, and it's their conflict in which we see the best and worst of both. Yeah? Yeah. 
And then, of course, there are some narrative arcs where the characters, you know, display unfavorable traits such as greed and envy. Uh, but these sort of are packaged with a journey of like some kind of moral reawakening that tends to sort of resolve itself the moment that character is exposed to sort of prolonged periods of decency. Yeah, they change their ways for the better, and then thus can sort of undo a great evil that faces them, or or, or yeah. indeed become the better person forever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Literally so, happy, happily ever after. Yeah, right? and yeah. that leads on to the next point is that there's always a suggestion in the sort of after the the sort of the climax of every Disney film that after this evil or personal difficulty has been assailed and conquered, there is no suggestion there will be any further strife or difficulty at all. Yeah, the, 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 all of the strife of difficulties contained within this yeah. narrative, and that's it. They'll be happy forever now because yeah. this is the point they've beaten it and it's done. Yeah, okay. So yeah. that simplicity, I think, is a huge part of the reason why it's popular, and I think it's more popular when we consider that for many people, and certainly within the realms of mainstream entertainment, film is escapism or film as escapism. Yeah, it lends itself really well to that idea because at the end of the day. If you want to escape into a world of moral absolutes, Disney is probably the best place to go. Mm. Yeah? Yeah. All of the complexities and the muddy, shitty stuff of real life, you can forget that because there there is none of that. There is no complexity in the the sort of human beings or indeed the characters, be it lions or fucking elephants or (laughs) clownfish or whatever, (laughs) you know? And I think that speaks to Disney's popularity, that Mm. people can escape into these worlds. They can see the most sort of upfront face value versions of good and bad. They can see the most upfront version of someone becoming better mm. and riding off into the sunset as a result. Mm. And I think and I think that's a huge part of the reason for its popularity. And again, that's not necessarily a criticism. No. I'm not saying that every film we consume should make you feel shit about the world <laughs> around you. No. But I think that if, if your true intention is to escape, is to get into a world and escape, then Disney will provide that for you. And I think that is a huge part of the reason why. Mm, okay. Thoughts? Yeah, I think it's funny you mention that because a, a lot of their, certainly their earlier work, was harvested from the Grim Tales. Mm. So, and they're, they're, if you read them, they're like cautionary tales. Yeah. And they're actually a little bit, they are about, you know, it, it's not about you becoming a better person, it's what not to do. Yeah, And yeah. it's funny that they've taken that concept and removed the cautionary bit Mm. and introduce, like you say, this kind of very easily digestible representation of good and evil. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, it's 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 black or it's white, mm. uh, and the, the darkness will get defeated, and the happy, they're kind of, they can kind of live their life happily ever after. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's definitely, it is one of the reasons why they, you know, th- their appeal is, yeah. Uh, yeah, a lack of complexity and embracing a very traditional very simple way of storytelling mm. that can be watched by people as young as three to as old as 65 maybe even even oh, older than that yeah, yeah. It's a broad yet specific yeah yeah, yeah. age range <laughs> no i yeah. agree the, the, that is the universal appeal isn't it mm. and we're going to talk a bit more about that uh shortly yeah about 
the sort of nature of making something universally appealing. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the ways you do that is, like you say, by simplifying morality yeah. um, in, in, in the characters. It's about making these parables as digestible as possible. Yeah, and it's actually... Um, I didn't think I was going to talk about this film, but it's one of the things that Shrek takes the piss out of. Oh, really? I th- Yeah, because the, the, whole, the whole idea is he's an ogre, right? He's traditionally the bad guy okay (laughs) and i know it's odd but that film that film really shits on disney and it is you know yeah yeah it seems weird to analyze shrek so early on but that film is a lot more complex than good and bad and it's almost it's it's sort of yeah ripping the shit out of disney and how they simplify everything Mm, mm. um in one in some ways i mean the franchise has gone arguably stooped lower now but the first one and possibly even the second one i feel do that quite well oh okay yeah it's been so long since i've seen them from my sort of pulling the small bits of memory i have about the film i can sort of see where you're coming from we got the dragon turns out to be you know starts out as as something they run away from and then there's something slightly complex that happens Uh, with that okay and the whole thing of um you know the, the the princess starts off beautiful and ends up you know, Yoga. in the traditional sense, yeah, she's yeah. very attra- attractive um, for for a two thousand and one <laughs> computer generated character, and yeah, ends up an ogre. So it's yeah, there you go. Anyway, no, interesting thought. I like yeah. that um, because I think if there's anyone you you know you're going to lampoon if you're making you know or animated fantasy films, it's it's going to be Disney, isn't it? Yeah. Because they set the benchmark. Oh god, yeah, and, and I think that's I don't know. Like I feel that that's such a huge part of it. And again, that's not a criticism necessarily. Mm. Uh, however, I will ask, do you think indulging in that sort of overt sentimentality and simplistic morality, I guess, is, yeah. is do you think that can have a negative impact on the viewer if you sort of, like I said, overindulge? Over time, yes. You know, it, a, a three-year-old isn't going to be interested in the, the complex morals of any character. Mm. And so it's fine to indulge in that simple way of storytelling. But over time, if you keep doing it, which they have, it's going to become a problem. For a start, the three-year-old's going to grow up <laughs> and rewatch it again and again and again, and then the, the their other output is going to be naturally more attractive to them, and they're going to watch that again. And it's the same thing. There's only so many stories that can be told which don't inhabit a moral grey area. There just isn't. It, it's mm. And it becomes, I think it becomes sort of, from an audience standpoint, very troublesome and also, it doesn't teach you a lot about the world, no, does it? I mean, it doesn't. It, it suggests, for one thing, it suggests that at twenty-five years old, you're going to find someone handsome who's going to sweep you off your feet and marry you and you're going to be happy for the rest of your life. Yeah. That, unfortunately, isn't the way life works. No, um, I do think it's troubling in that aspect. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I, obviously, like we. If you set the stall out for the film for whoever it is you're watching and say, look, it's just fucking escapism. And I guess, again, in my, in my opening sort of remarks, if mm. I may, you know, <laughs> I, I have no issue with wanting to escape. I mean, so many of the films I love, I mean, yeah, it's about getting getting away from it. But Oh, yeah. I mean, I just think that there's this sort of, particularly with our generation, there's this sort of, I don't know, some sort of Disney complex. I don't know, like, yeah. I find it a bit strange when people are really into it, you know? Yeah. And I just think that... At what point did you realise that it wasn't going to be like that? If you if, yeah. if you don't engage with anything else actively and you just it's just Disney because it is yeah. that sort of desire to move away from the 
fucking muddiness of it all. Mm, yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, I think it might sound a little bit apocalyptic and over the top to say that it's completely damaging, but I think if you prescribe to the idea that the culture you consume will shape your relationship to your immediate environment, then yeah. I think the overconsumption of this sort of sappy, sanitized, simplified way of viewing people and the world yeah. probably will be damaging. Yeah. And I think... If I think about like a film company or a sort of animated film company that gets sort of close to the popularity of Disney uh, that I can use for sort of reference, it's Studio Ghibli. Yeah, okay. Um, and the reason I want to mention them is because I think they work quite interestingly, not only because, as mentioned literally seconds ago, they're probably the two of the most dominant and instantly recognisable animation companies on the planet. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, they both have quite different ways of handling the sort of fantastical nature of their content. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find that whilst Disney will prevent, present, you know, obviously there's lots to be said about how we view some of their narratives with, a, with a, through the modern lens. Mm. But I think, uh, generally speaking, there's a largely a positive message in Disney films. I mean, I think there's lots of troubling areas that a lot of people have written and spoke about, and I'm not going to disregard that. But I think the intention, at least, is to have these sort of positive messages laced within these sort of simplistic narratives. Yeah. Where I think Studio Ghibli is better, actually vastly superior, as far as I'm concerned, this is where I get a bit... Uh-huh. You know. Studio Ghibli? Just, yeah, yeah, I make that noise a lot. I realise we were rec- listening back to the last episode, not to sound like some narcissistic little fucking loser, but I realised I make that noise quite a lot. <laughs> I love it, I love yeah, it. Yeah. I can't I know, get enough. You just sort of don't realise until you sort of listen back to the episodes for editing purposes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, I think that they just handle those sort of tales of morality... So much, in so much more of an interesting way. Like if you take something like Kiki's Delivery Service, which on the face of it is, you know, it's just about a young witch flying around in a broom delivering mm. stuff in some sort of fantasy w- world. But yeah, it's made to look, I don't know, the world is kind of like strangely relatable because the characters are all dealing with different things mm. and dealing with really personal human things. Yeah, And the sort of revelations that, Kiki has throughout the film are small, tiny little revelations. Oh, yeah. And I don't know, I think that just speaks to the experience of life more. Yeah. Whilst being a fantasy film, whilst being emotionally sweeping and and really impactful. So I think there is totally, I think what Studio Ghibli does for me is show, what it did for me was it showed me that you can make films of this ilk and not have to sort of be that simple. Yeah. I mean, and again, they can make films like Princess Mononoke in Nausicaa, I think. I'm probably bastardising that. <laughs> uh, Valley of the Wind. They can make films that have these grand statements about the, the need to sort of protect the environment mm. and the sort of consequences of human greed and violence. I mean, violence is such a reoccurring theme in um, the work of Studio Ghibli. Yeah. Um, and the fear of it and technology, weaponized technology. But whilst these moments in the film are harrowing, there's still this sense, this this identity of like hope and these sort of sweeping grand emotional moments that really take you. Yeah. So I just think there is, there is you can definitely do that. Mm. Uh, and I just think really it just shows that, I don't know, it made me think at that point that I, I sort of fell out of love with Disney anyway uh, at a certain age. I can't really pinpoint when it was, but it was watching those films that made me really think, Fucking hell, like, you can really do that and then some and not have to necessarily just have this sort of... Not have not have your kind of plot beats so defined. Yeah. 
in, yeah, that's in, probably a better way of saying just, it. No, yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, just, just in the sense that, yeah, like, if, if you want to represent life, especially if, if you want to kind of portray life to a younger audience and get them ready for potentially dark moments, then you've got to be relatively realistic. You have to present the idea that it's not going to be about grand statements. It's going no. to be about small steps. That when we look back on it, yeah, mean something mm. and will have an impact. Because... Sorry, I'm going to, I just sort of interrupted you there, but Sorry? the idea that, you know, I think we've said this before about life being a, a series of huge landmark moments. It's just yeah. bollocks. It's, yeah, yeah. Most of the things that will have a formative impact on your life will be the quiet things that you reflect on when you're yeah. older. I think we mentioned that before when we were talking about that in relation to Linklater and his portrayal of adolescence. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, I just think it speaks more here. And I know there are a lot of people, when I've had this debate, and I've mentioned this, because I have this kind of debate a lot, because I'm one of those people who go, Disney, yeah. No, no, look, I still, you know, you can still obviously like it. I'm not saying that. But when I've had this debate, people have this sort of immediate, uh, immediately reject the idea of watching Studio Ghibli on the basis it's anime. Uh, Okay. And it's like, I'm I'm funny. I'm not being funny, but like, first off, I want to say a point. I remember our dear friend Dan saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, anime is like everything else, you know. There's some good stuff there. You've got to sift through the shit. Yeah. It's the same with every sort of medium. Interesting. And secondly, you're prepared to watch a film with dancing fucking teapots and shit in it. I know. You can't act as some kind of fucking high ground, some sort of cultural high ground. (laughs) Watch Studio Ghibli films anyway. Not not necessarily to compare them to Disney in the same way losers like me do, but just to fucking enjoy them like you should do. They're brilliant. Yeah. So something new as well, you know. If If you enjoy that kind of Disney formula and the visuals as well, which are very, very different in Ghibli films. Uh, I I think they're, I don't, I don't think they're better. I just think they're really different and more beautiful in some aspects. Mm. Um, and, you know, if you're watching Beauty and the Beast or Snow White every other weekend, then it might be something new that is just a bit refreshing, perhaps. Yeah. And a yeah, bit yeah. slightly more challenging, obviously, if you're not used to watching films with subtitles, that then yeah, it'd be a good in for just something else. And that's not to say yeah. that you can't discard your previous sort of love for yeah. th- those other films at all. It's just it, it's a good stepping stone. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I was weirdly a bit of a late bloomer to those films because I think Same. again for our generation, it's like a lot of people have so much reverence for Studio Ghibli. Yeah, and I remember it not being till like, at least like three or four years ago that I really sat and like ate, ate through a significant chunk of like the big hitters. Okay, and I was like, fucking hell! Like, there's a reason why so many people love these. I think it was because of Disney that I didn't want to because I sort of was yeah, just yeah. like, oh, the, the DVDs know. were like twenty quid. Yeah, they still are. Yeah, the Blu-rays are really oh, expensive. God, yeah, I remember trying to find Spirited Away and I had like £16 in my pocket and I couldn't get it. I was really gutted because someone had recommended it to me. Um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's an interesting point and it's sort of gone off on a bit of a tangent there, but I think um, that presentation of morality, I think, is central to it, at yeah. least viewed through the lens of, of escapism. Did you have mm. any thoughts on other areas that we could attribute success, Disney. Disney's success to? Well, I mean, they actually, oh, you know, I was reading about it last night, they haven't always been that successful. So the early mm. start, it took a lot, a long time to yeah. get off the ground. So, you know, in sort of wartime era, you, you we kind of see Disney today as this massively successful conglomerate. Yeah. It really wasn't always that way. Like, they've struggled. Even after some big hits, they struggled for a really long time. So I think they've refined their formula for better or worse. And they've, because they've been around for quite a long time. Long, yeah, yeah. Longer than, I want to say longer than Warner Brothers or, or maybe around the same time. So over time, they've cultivated uh, a winning formula or what they see as a winning formula. 
and you know success takes time and they, it's trial and error and I think they've got they've got through most of the error <laughs> in yeah. some aspects um, yeah 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 I think the nostalgia element look we said we wouldn't but yeah I mean that's a huge part of it isn't it yeah the re-releases the fact that again the fact that their DVDs cost about 20 quid um, <laughs> if, if a child wants to see a Disney film fucking parents have to go and go and work as well Pay, yeah. pay for the tick so yeah, you're getting yeah, yeah. three times the amount of money mm-hmm. it's like an IMAX thing isn't it like you, you pay £25 for an IMAX ticket as opposed to a tenner for you know normal mm-hmm. and, and that's another way of making money really yeah, it, it yeah, might yeah. not necessarily you, know, you think about box office gross uh, being people seeing it and it's not that it's the price if you're like younger than 10 you can't really go and see a film on your own mm. so that you know very basic reason why they might have agreed yeah i mean success. absolutely i think characterization's a big thing as well i think they're undoubtedly have nailed repeatedly nailed the design of princesses yeah various other characters across their sort of long history and, and the fact these characters are ridiculously marketable yeah, and, toy, yeah, and the toy market obviously for them is hugely lucrative. I mean, there's not many film studios that can attest to not even, not only having theme parks built for them, but oh, yeah. shops. The Disney Store was like a big fucking deal when you were yeah. a kid. Right? I remember there was one in Derby, and it was like the most magic for a kid. You fucking walk in like you've just been in fucking Adams or in Boots, getting dragged <laughs> around by your mum. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, she might take you into the Disney store just to sort of placate the fact that you've just been watching a Tri Foundation on for 45 minutes. You know, you're like a six year old kid. Like, what the fuck am I doing here? Yeah. I just want to go to McDonald's. <laughs> you know, like, but you know, those shops were huge and they mm. had such a, like a big, I think formative might be a too bit, a sort of stronger word to use, but they have, it has a huge presence in me, even to the point now as a sort of 32 year old adult that doesn't really have a great deal of reverence for Disney anymore. Mm. When I walk past where that shop used to be, I get a pang of sadness. Oh, wow, okay. Which is, you know, which is testament, I think, to their ability to not only sort of sink their claws into your childhood, but also not just via the screen, but via the toys you've had. Yeah. And the sort of the the merchandising and the sort of omnipresence of Disney that Mm. seemed to sort of permeate throughout most of our childhoods. Yeah, I mean, Walt Disney... I can't exactly remember when it was, but he stopped uh, kind of... He took a back seat with the films to start the theme parks. Oh, yeah. And he he made like six or seven different companies to make it happen as well. It's weird. Um, Yeah, okay. But so he'd always... He always had something in mind which was bigger than just films and, Mm. and animation. He always had an empire in mind. And I think... You know, fast forwarding from then about like what fifty odd years, you have the Lion King, which made about like nine hundred and fifty million dollars at the box office, but apparently that's nothing compared to like the ancillary revenues that they got from toys and mm. and merchandise and it, it was something like the the gross of the film was something like twenty percent of the entire amount of money made in the stage play as well. I don't think that's actually I think they sold the rights off to like a West End theatre company or something, but you know, <laughs> that's money still, in their pockets still. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And the continual reminder of it as well. Like yeah. the, the the theatre production has, has been going on for as long as I can remember and still draws in the big crowds, doesn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. It's got a life. It's got a real shelf life. Yeah, yeah. Um and it's something that's popped into my head now really really quickly. Um the stories are kind of timeless. And I don't yeah. necessarily mean that in a in a it's lavishing them with praise. But they are stories. They're like campfire stories, right? They mm. they don't have the baggage of being, 
in any in any cultural context you can tell them and retell them and retell them time and time again uh and you can change the you can change the, you can literally change the culture the culture around it yeah yeah around yeah. those stories you can change you? the gender of the characters you yeah. can change like even their race and like where they're you know where where they hail from and all that kind of stuff and the story's still there, you know. You, yeah. You couldn't yeah. do that with Goodfellas, could you? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah. No. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that. That's yeah. an interesting point. Mm. I think, yeah, I think it's, I think it's madness. I mean, because there was that period, like in the sort of late nineties, early two thousands. Oh no, actually, the Toy Story came out in ninety four. Ninety five. Ninety five. Fuck! <laughs> yeah. I knew. I knew it. I knew you'd know. I can so. hope I'm right. <laughs> yeah, I think you are. Um, although I got it wrong, <laughs> but I think you are. You know, like obviously Pixar came along and I think really gave them the boot of the ass they needed. Yes. Uh, and it, for a time, that was the sort of darling of Disney. I remember uh, there were like pictures, like sort of like industry analysis magazines with like her pictures of like Buzz Lightyear kicking Mickey up the ass and stuff, you know, because, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, I think that method of animation and that approach to storytelling give, gave them the revamp they needed. Mm, ultimately. And, and for a long time, it was like, for someone like me who had sort of stopped watching Disney really. I'm not that not when I was four or five, obviously, but mm. like when you look back at that period, you think Pixar are the ones that really picked them up, I guess, and yeah. pushed them into the new for a new generation. Well, I mean you had you had Lion King in ninety four and then Toy Story came along in ninety five. And then later on, I mean if you look at Disney's output in the nineties, there's some good I say good, there's some successful stuff in there. Yeah. But you had you also had films like The Emperor's New Groove, oh yeah, which was like kind of yeah. it fucking lost money, <laughs> like did really right, did. Okay. And then all the while, Pixar were doing like Buzz, um, a Buzz Life, a Bug's Life, and um, you know, onto sort of Finding Nemo and all that kind of stuff, mm. which were. I mean, it's still they still ca- carry that model a little bit, hundred percent. Uh, but yeah, yeah, they hundred percent they were rising in the ranks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, Disney were in trouble at that time and I mean I think (laughs) yeah I mean I think it's like a new it was a new technology to wrap the tried and tested storytelling formula around wasn't it yeah and uh, I think that's part of the reason and it's funny to think now that Pixar who were you know the the company that you would look to for that kind of innovation are very much like Disney who own them yeah are just concerned more with sequels now I know yeah they've really I don't know what's happening to them I mean they they do I think Toy the last Story five is supposed to be yeah out. I mean, fucking I th- let it die I think the last really good film they made was probably Inside Out because that that okay uh, yeah. that was fairly recently but it was the last like genuinely original film they made and it's a shame because they, are, I, th- I thought they had more in them. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think it just goes to show, doesn't it, that, you know, that I think when you create this landscape and create such reverence, it's, this is what I find so weird about Disney's dominance now. I mean, we're going to talk about it more broadly in the context of, like, you know, Lucasfilm and Marvel, etc. later in the discussion. But I think the idea that they establish these moments in our childhood, these formative cultural moments in our childhood, both with the sort of, you know, films like Lion King and all that sort of shit. And then they make, then they take the leap with Pixar and continue to do so. Mm. So they've established that. And now they're making money off that again mm. with sequels. Like, yeah. they're almost yeah. like resurrecting it over and over again. And it's almost like a, like a, like a just a loop, like a, mm. like an endless, like a feedback loop, isn't it? Yeah. A feedback loop, is that yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. So like, and it's, it's just, 
I don't know, it just seems like endless. Mm. And, I, and I just don't know when it ends. I mean, my sort of cursory research, you know, we did research. <laughs> um, you know, there were a lot of people who were critical of, of that approach were saying, well, you know, where does that leave room for sort of innovation? If all yeah. you're doing is, is sort of going, look at this, look back, remember this? Where does that leave room for like new properties? And, you know, new properties are undeniably more expensive to make. Yeah, right? and you have risky. to develop that and design, and it's risky because even Disney, who have got a, a fucking sort of exhaustive back catalogue of bankable hits, bankable characters. Yeah. They still fuck up. They still get things wrong. Like, oh, you know, yeah. You know, sometimes it just won't chime with the audience or the ear or whatever. Yeah. So obviously there, and I think what's happening, and I think this is happening with Marvel as well, and as indeed it showed with um, Ant-Man, is that they're just sort of playing it so safe because they don't want to take that risk. Yeah. And what is the impact culturally of not taking risks? What does that say about the, the industry, us as consumers, mm. and where is that going to leave us? Because inevitably at some point, surely the nostalgia is going to dry up and we're going to lust, we're going to thirst yeah. for something new. Surely, I mean, hopefully. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. The only thing that slightly worries me about that is the fact that, you know, we get older and then a new generation come along who, who haven't seen this stuff. And, yeah, yeah. And then, and like you say, the feedback loop continues. Um, there's a great bit in, uh, that's a bit of a, again, a bit of a tangent. Apologies. <laughs> but, no, go for it. But it does sort of ring true as to what we're talking about. There's a great bit in, uh, we're both big fans of Alan Partridge. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a bit at the, where he's having a meeting with, like, the hair, the chief commissioning editor of the bbc and he uh he says to him shoestring taggart spender bergerac morse what does that say to you about regional detective series and then he just goes there are too many of them <laughs> and he goes that's one way of looking at it another way of looking at it is people like them let's make some more of them <laughs> and it's exactly what's happening yeah, just, yeah. can i just say props to squeezing it legitimately magic to fit <laughs> alan partridge quote like a prolonged yeah yeah, you know, yeah. it's quite a big one yeah yeah and, and in a way that feels contextual but yeah. actually merited so props to you <laughs> thanks no but yeah i agree with you i think it's it's troubling and i'm sick of it i personally am just really really sick of it yeah i am too i mean we, we say this every episode yeah you know, we said oh we're not gonna talk about nostalgia but you know like i'm sick of it i'm fucking done man like I'm getting to the point where it's annoying me that people are getting excited about it, which I know yeah. is completely irrational and completely unfair because I yeah. don't want to be that person because I can't believe you're excited about it, mm. you know, and just look like because it's worth pointing out, and I think we might probably have to do this again for the discussion around Marvel that you know we don't want to be people that fucking make people feel shit for liking stuff. No, and when we're frustrated about it, yeah, and it bothers us because obviously we have a vested interest in the in the medium mm. and we want to see newer ideas, not just in the independent scene but you know mainstream cinema as well yeah and i'm sure there are plenty of people who share that view but also like nostalgia yeah you know so in, in cultural nostalgia but i think it's important to, to acknowledge that you know there is this sort of you, you get a little sort of tingle in the genitals <laughs> because you think you're clever because you're sort of laying into a billion dollar con conglomerate but yeah however i will continue to do so because i like the tingle <laughs> i haven't had a feeling down there in years <laughs> no uh, um but you know what I mean? I, I don't know. Like I just feel like we have to sort of preface it with that or sort of bookend it with that in a sense because, mm. you know, just it doesn't necessarily mean that we're right in any way. No, it's but... funny. I, I still love, to this day, I love the original Lion King. I remember you <laughs> I saying I still yeah. do. And um, I remember you saying that quite... What episode was that? That was the first one, I think. Was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit, man. Um, okay. Yeah, and, it, and Memories. it's... Memories. <laughs> Nostalgia. <laughs> uh, oh, oh God. fuck. <laughs> no, I just... Um, 
I, I have quite sort of strong opinions of that, and I do think that film is is about responsibility and about weirdly about sort of like being a dad and uh, and kind of running away from your problems won't fix anything and that's a on the whole a good moral message it still suffers from that sort of black and white character issue that we were talking about earlier and it's odd to me that whilst we were kind of laying into disney a bit i kept thinking about the lion king yeah thinking, yeah hey yeah, ben yeah. you like that don't yeah. don't forget that but then then the remake came out and again we've already discussed this but it just it was so the same but so different at the same time i was like and it that that was when when i watched that it was on netflix for a bit oh, no it was on disney plus and i watched it um i've got disney plus by the way <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and yeah that was when it really hit home i was like they need to stop doing this because yeah, they're yeah. ruining they're even taking things that are that that won me over and ripping it away from me and it was really upsetting so yeah um I don't know. There you go. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's it's perhaps more complex than we initially gave it credit for that debate, but I, I still feel like it. I can't handle it, and it does my head in, and mm. I'm going to keep moaning about it. Yeah, so fuck you, lot <laughs> for two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're getting longer each yeah. episode. So I think that means we can really just sort of effortlessly glide into a discussion about Marvel. As for uh, nice. the uninitiated viewer, of, uh, Marvel is owned by Disney. Yeah. I would argue that a large part of a large sort of cluster of those criticisms that we have probably still apply to Marvel. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Before I get into this sort of an, another sort of perhaps more familiar tirade about it, I will say that for a long time I was pretty unbothered by the criticism towards Marvel films because I was someone in my sort of teen teen years that really really liked superheroes. I was really okay. enamoured by superhero narratives and mythology. I, you know, collected the comic books. No, I wasn't like a huge, I wasn't the kind of person that had like fucking reams and reams of comic books. Like, yeah, yeah. But like, I was, you know, I was into them. I really liked, you know, like the ground level superheroes of Marvel. I really liked the sort of like sprawling, ridiculous sort of mythology of DC. And mm. so when these films first started happening, there was no negativity. I think not just from me, but from a lot of people because no one really knew. You know, when you saw the, the Hulk, and then obviously Iron Man's when it really kicked off, really. Yeah. But you had no sort of idea that this would be where it is now. No, God. So I think... It felt fresh, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah. And, and even for the for the longest time, I mean, I would go and watch each MCU film, and I was so totally aware that this was problematic in so many ways, not just for Blockbuster Cinema, but for the industry. Mm. But I sort of could ignore it. But the more I watched the films and the longer they went on and the more the films came out, I just found myself thinking, yeah, it's getting harder and harder to ignore the problems yeah, each and yeah. every time. Interesting. And yeah. um, Because I know that you've always had quite a negative view of them. Not necessarily negative, but you've always been... I guess you've been guarded about the idea of being swept up by them. Yeah, Would that be like a more fair assessment? I think so, yeah. And I think partly the reason for that is I never read comics, ever. <laughs> so okay. I never had any love for the characters. I didn't know who the majority of them were. I still went and saw the films and I kind of enjoyed them. But my introduction to superheroes was through Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> like the original Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, worth, it's worth pointing out that obviously mm. superhero films weren't didn't just start the MCU. Of course, yeah, there are plenty yeah. of... Oh, the great superhero films. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Before that. Um, yeah, so I didn't have... Uh, my, yeah, my introduction was slightly different. I 
think I realised quite early on that this was going like some somewhere without a conclusion, <laughs> basically. Mm. Which I think, if you're telling a story, you have to have a fucking ending. You just have to. I love a good ending, and I love a, a, a kind of full resolution to a story. And the fact that they were just doing nothing but branching out was like, oh god, okay. And you said this last week. You said um, you said to me that you have to do your homework with these films now. Mm. And yeah, it, it, my interest was just it's was lost. Um, mm. And uh, at the same time, like you know. The Batman films, Nolan Batman films, were sort of taken off, and I was like, "No, these have endings, right? Yeah, these have yeah. these, this has like a, a conclusion." Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I was more taken away by those, really. Yeah, I, I think it's funny because, like, obviously, the superhero, or particularly the MCU, has had an impact on comic books. Like, more people read comic books. Like, it's socially acceptable to do that now. Yeah, I think yeah. In our generation, you would sort of oh, laugh that. Fucking you? Hell. Yeah, but, yeah. It was. It was. But, you were confined to. You know. <laughs> Before being a nerd was cool, basically. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, and there was that stereotype of coming in with a cold and big glasses on all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, just yeah. getting out your comics and you sit in the corner on your own. And that's just not the case anymore. No. Yeah. But I would argue, weirdly, that, that, that it's actually done the comic book medium of disservice, these films. I think they've made comic books more childish. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah that yeah. might be something that a lot of people would like to hear, but well, I, I just feel that like it's made the medium look like it's only palatable for a certain age group. Do you think that's to the extent that uh, graphic novels had to distinguish themselves from comic books by calling themselves graphic novels. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, they were just like yeah. a group of like fucking like nutters who were writing these brutal comic books yeah. who were just like, no, we're going to call them graphic novels now because we don't want to be associated with these losers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's almost creating its own sort of brand of elitism, isn't it? I just felt it was important to preface it with that because I don't want people to think that I'm just going to start ragging on them because I... I don't like them. Like I, mm. you know, I, I up until uh, is it Endgame was the last one of that sort of big. Yeah, I was not necessarily like always along for the ride and wasn't like impassioned. Like I yeah. wouldn't have like nailed myself to the cross for the films, but mm. I always sort of half enjoyed them and, and accepted them for what they were. But yeah. it's become harder for me to, to do that now. See, I liked Endgame because it was an ending. Yeah, it was a fucking good ending. Yeah. And now they're making more, and it's just like, oh, why? No, you had you, you had a good thing there. You had for a brief time it was the highest grossing film ever, and you wrapped it up so beautifully. You had that nice song at the end with Captain America dancing. I was like, that is how you end the Avengers, yeah, <laughs> right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they announced more. I was like, no, you've yeah. you've called it Endgame. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But... Um, before we sort of move into a discussion about certain films, I guess we have to address the elephant in the room and that mm. elephant is a small Italian-American man oh, called yes. Martin Scorsese who obviously had some comments about superhero films he's not the only person and I'm sure there have been many film podcasts and discussions yeah, about yeah. this before us mm. long before us but I feel like it, it feels important to mention that yeah, uh, and the, the views of lots of the filmmakers who have been far more scathing than Scorsese was about the state of modern cinema oh yeah yeah um, but he suggested that these films weren't cinema in the sense that they were more like a roller coaster ride. Like, yeah. What's your take on that? Because that seemed to get a lot of people who liked Marvel films fucking furious. Yeah. More so than like someone like Ken Loach saying they're like, there is as much value as a fucking hamburger. Or, I'm paraphrasing him, but he was far more scathing. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. Shit. He was quite lengthy as well. Yeah, yeah. Loach, yeah. But what what is it, do you think, about Scorsese's assessment that riled some people up, and then what is your view? You know, for, for the average audience member or cinema goer, 
it was it was acceptable to like both, right? So you could you could go out and watch a Scorsese film and enjoy it, and you could also go out and watch a Marvel film and enjoy it. But then as soon as one of the, the creators of of one of those things that you would love mm. calls out the other one, just because of like how prestigious he is, even though he, I don't think he meant what everyone thought he meant. He he didn't. Mm. He wasn't knocking theme parks, right? He wasn't saying yeah, they were yeah. a bad thing. Uh, he was just saying this that that's kind of how he saw them but there was a a big uh, a, a separation there and and it made a lot of people upset because films that they previously might have enjoyed all of a sudden that that person is expressing in their eyes discontent for the other things they enjoy so it it kind of created an internal conflict a lot of, uh, yeah. amongst many people and uh, it led them to sort of lash out a bit but i actually i mean that sorry i kind of went off a little bit there but i don't think he meant ill by it at all no um, i don't think so yeah it, it was just it was just something that taken out taken out of context a little bit and he just all he wanted to say was they're the kind of easy stimulation, which they are. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and people kind of took that as him shitting all over them, which yeah. I don't think he was at all. He, no. he probably isn't going to go and see them, but that's not his thing, and that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, yeah. it's opinions and it's tastes, and that was all he was expressing. But yeah, what about you? I well, I completely agree with him. I, I mean, I, I don't see any reason why you shouldn't agree with him on the basis that, like with everything, you can read into films on a very deep level and try and work out how various aspects of their narratives are linked to other films or ideas or themes of a certain time. And I think Marvel has done that to a certain degree and to mm. varying successes. I think when we talk about some of our sort of more favourite examples, if we can use the word favourite, but yeah, the examples yeah. we pref- we sort of like a little more than the rest of the fodder. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of that is based on those films that have been a bit more successful with that. So mm. I'm not saying that they can't strike a chord in that manner. But I think largely it is all about entertainment. It is all about getting bums on seats. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, and let's be let's be upfront here. Like Marvel's approach isn't. It's just a more refined uh, version of a blockbuster formula that has always existed. I mean, since the inception of cinema, it's a you know it's been about entertaining people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I know we might have sort of like a, a sort of Chazelle like reverence for the Roaring Twenties and Thirties. <laughs> yeah. You know, in a, in a way that makes us think that those films were better, and they, you know, obviously for many reasons they probably are. But as that as the the medium has got older, the way in which entertaining as many people as possible has happened is by refining that formula, refining that approach. Yeah, yeah. And basically, the way I would view it is that it's about taking the most accessible aspects of every genre and sort of putting them together. Yeah. That's sort of what the blockbuster model is. It's about having the peril, the sort of vague element of horror, the romance, the yeah. action. It's about combining all these themes. The so, final battle. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's about combining all these themes within a simple narrative structure mm. that makes sense for the average cinema goer, whilst also appeasing every single member of the family that would go and watch the film. Yeah, yeah. So Marvel's approach is a more refined version of that to suit the world they've created. I think they deserve some degree of credit for managing to do that because there have been so many other film companies that have been inspired by Marvel's dominance and have tried to do the same and completely fluffed it. So it's not like it's something that's necessarily an easy thing to do. No. But I would argue that maybe Marvel's reason for for that is they were the first to do it. So no one could be, they could compare themselves to nobody, right? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So I, but I think it's worth pointing that out. However, I think where with Marvel, it gets 
more tiresome for me than it would be for sort of any other sort of blockbuster is that the way their films are structured in the sense that it's always about the next film. We were yeah. sort of talking about this on the journey back yes. yesterday from the film. Every one of their films is like a propulsive self-marketing device. Mm. So the films will market themselves in a way that before any of the fucking, you know, in a way that I think is more effective than the advertising yeah. because they're constantly looking forward. They're constantly saying, oh, you know, when's this character going to come? Oh, what's that Easter egg mean? Yeah, I mean, yeah. the fucking post-credit sequence is their thing. They yeah. created that. And mm. that the whole point of that is to signpost audience sort of enthusiasm and excitement to the next film, the next phase, the next yeah. character. Who's going to play that character? What's going to happen to the new villain, you know? Yeah. And it markets itself because yes. you create speculation, you create interest. And I think that's part of the reason why not only is it so successful, but it has its detractors because it doesn't seem content on settling within the narratives that it's working on at the time. Yeah. It's always looking forward in a way that almost disregards the importance and credibility of the stories that they're making. Yeah. Did you ever watch uh, Lost? Uh, I remember... So it's like one of those shows... I'm infamously shit with TV, by the way, um, which to <laughs> a lot of my mates sort of... Um, fury, but mm-hmm. I remember being swept up for a bit. Yeah, so the, the thing they do... Every single episode ends on a cliffhanger. I mean every single right. episode. Okay. And the reason for that is to get you excited for the next one, right? So it's exactly the same model. Mm. But the Lost has the luxury of being a television show, so you know there is going to be a next episode. And and it doesn't mean there's not going to be an ending. <laughs> yeah, uh, It's exactly the same feeling. Like, I mean, I didn't have that with the, the one. I didn't s- sort of feel that with Ant-Man, but I'm not as invested in the whole spiel of it all. But that's the, that's the idea. It's the TV show. It's the ne- and next week, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, the next film, the yeah, next character. Yeah. It markets itself. I mean, in a way, it's genius. If you look at it from a sort of capitalist perspective, not to get too <laughs> political here. Well, yeah. The capitalist perspective. But, you know, that is, it's, it's, it's a brilliant, brilliant model, and it works. And, yeah. you know, if you're going to do it with any franchise, you do it with an exhaustive mythology like the comic the world of comic books like the marvel mm. like marvel you know i don't yeah i don't know but i think that's where their successes perhaps come from is that approach to storytelling do you do you think that the last ever mcu film will have a post credit scene <laughs> will <laughs> I, it maybe yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah maybe yeah interesting maybe well we'll we'll see it's just kevin feige just <laughs> sat eating dinner on his own <laughs> yeah in a massive house all by himself yeah then he just yeah. goes home and closes the door you just hear a gunshot and <laughs> <laughs> it just ends <laughs> love it well I don't love it but... <laughs> yeah. I love that idea yeah. Kevin here's, uh, uh, my number is yeah, yeah. <laughs> no I, I don't know I, I just think um, I think that's a huge part of the reason I also think it's casting I think mm. you know you You've got to look at the the casting choices they made, and you can't really argue with that. No, in terms of, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, they, they pretty spot on, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's very. You can't argue with the yeah, the casting directors, and and well, I'm assuming Feige has a lot of involvement over the casting. But you know, yeah, you have Thor. Like, who do you think of immediately? Like the first person who pops into your head, and yeah, it's it's. When you think of Thor, you think of Chris Hemsworth, right? Yeah, yeah. You don't think of the comic book no. incarnation. No, uh, no, same with Wolverine, actually. Although obviously Wolverine was pre MCU, it's it's just Hugh Jackman, isn't it? That's yeah. that's who you yeah. think of. Yeah, um, yeah. They're extraordinarily good at, at casting, and I don't think they've really put a foot wrong, apart from maybe uh, what's his name, the guy in the first Iron Man who they replaced with Don Cheadle. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't remember. Maybe that was a bit of a misstep. But uh, <laughs> yeah. anyway. But, I mean, in terms of their core heroes. Yeah. I mean, I always thought a CGI Bob Hoskins would have done a would have been a better Spider Man, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> in another dimension, maybe. In yeah, another, well, they could do that now, yeah, can't yeah. they? I mean, if they could just sort of speak to the Hoskins estate yeah, and yeah. get that, get the rights. <laughs> what a bizarre mm. idea that is. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that, and I think also, again, it sort of ties back, but they have really refined that that balance of peril and humour really well i mean the humor i think is one of the things that's got progressively worse and it wasn't that great when it started off no um but it's just got worse and worse and worse to the point it's just like it's just not funny anymore no, to me it's yeah, what do we what do we coin it as last that was it sort of false irony or yes, something that's yeah. What said. yeah yeah just like this idea it's it's all like oh this looks pretty bad yeah, you know what i mean that sort yeah. of sense of humor you know what i mean it's like but you know it's not going to be because it's fucking marvel it's the kind of humor that Maybe I'm being a bit cruel here. I won't name any names, but the kid in school who comes in and their sense of humour is just a few years younger than everyone else's, and they <laughs> yeah. think they're being really funny. And yeah, they, yeah. And they always, they always end like their jokes with almost like an exclamation mark, as, yeah. as if to say, "It's your cue to laugh now." Yeah, but it's that yeah. kind of thing. It yeah. really grates on me. I really, I really hate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I could tolerate it for the first ten odd years, but now, especially with Ant Man. Oh my god! I will talk about it more in a bit, but Jesus Christ, it yeah. just wasn't funny. No, it wasn't at all. No. Given someone like Paul Rudd, who is so effortlessly charming, I mean, I'm not someone that's particular reverence for a lot of his output, but he just seems mm. like quite a charming fella. Yeah, and a, and a comediately gifted one in, in mm. to some degree. And He's hilarious in like Judd Apatow's early films. He's yeah, genuinely like, yeah, really good. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can see that, but I don't know. I, I just think it's strange. I also think the lack of peril. It's funny, isn't it? When you when you watch any kind of blockbuster film, you do have to surrender yourself to it in the sense that you know that it's never going to be that bad for any of the characters because yeah. it can't be. Yep. You're not going to see Iron Man get cleaved in two and his corpse molested by aliens because <laughs> there are children in the fucking cinema. Yeah, yeah. You know, so you know that even when they say we're going to kill off the heroes. Yeah. I remember there's that bit in, um, is it Infinity War, where Thanos stabbed Iron Man? Yeah, and I was like, "Fucking hell! If they kill him like this, this would be quite ballsy for Marvel." Yeah, yeah. And I thought, "Fuck, they're not going to, are they?" Mm. And of course, they didn't. They didn't. He was going no. spoilers <laughs> if you haven't seen it. I mean, I guess you probably have because most yeah. people in the world have mm. seen the film. But obviously, he dies in a much more heroic, sacrificial manner. Yes, <laughs> which I thought was always going to be the always going to be the case. Mm. But um, that lack of peril again is again that speaks to the the idea that you have to surrender a lot of your sort of inhibitions for blockbuster films, but people seem to do that with far more like enthusiasm for Marvel than any other franchise I can think of. I mean, yeah. how can you be consumed by any sort of emotion when you know everything's going to be okay because, yeah. because of marketing? And also, I mean, it's the, it's the kind of Harry Potter problem, you know, if you write magic, if you, if you set your story in a world that has magic in it, you don't, you don't so have to, any. Try to take my sock off. <laughs> Sorry, oh, I'm getting hot. Yeah. I'm getting hot talking about superhero films. I'm not taking my fucking socks off. Sorry, Ben. Carry on. That's all right. No, yeah. You know, yeah. I was just saying, like, if you if you set your story in a world that has magic in it, you can write anything, any character out of any situation because there's magic in it. Yeah, yeah, at, yeah. At, you know, and at the start, Iron Man, that was quite grounded. Like you say, he yeah. was sort of, he was still a ground level superhero, and his concern was civilians. It wasn't universes or worlds or multiverses or whatever. But then, as the stakes got higher, and as they made more and more films, and the stakes kind of climbed, the suspension of disbelief 
was just kind of withering. <laughs> yeah, it was difficult. Yeah. To accept it, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. Or to, yeah. to surrender to it, should I say? Yeah. And, and, and you know, a, a franchise like Harry Potter had the benefit of speaking to sort of one generation and it didn't really matter because it was all about your love for the characters and they could still die and mm. and with this they're just they're super beings right they yeah. even if they do die and that's been proven with infinity war and endgame doesn't mean they're dead at all yeah. they can come back because time travel exists and yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it just yeah it, it really i really struggle to be, be enthralled and enticed by the stories because any anything can happen yeah yeah, uh, yeah. and when anything can happen nothing can happen limitation right. is good right i think yeah oh big time and i think that ties that leads nicely actually to our discussion about some of the mcu films we prefer yes and i get the impression from our early discussions that it's that area of limitation that makes the ones we like better than the other yeah, ones yeah 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 um hit me with your three Okay, so uh, on number one, this is a this is a weird one. It's quite recent. Uh, I, I really, really enjoyed Spider Man um, No Way Home. Okay, uh, I don't know why. I think it might be because I love the original Spider Man so much. Yeah, uh, I went to see it because uh, I think Spider Man's probably my favourite superhero. Okay, yeah. Uh, I just thought I have to. Wa- I just have to watch it. Apparently, it's really good. I knew by this point. Spoilers: Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire are in it. I was like, I kind of have to see how they approach that. Mm. And although it did suffer from the same problems as a lot of M- the MCU's later output, there was something about there's something about the humanity of Spider Man, which which, and again, that speaks to what I was saying earlier about Harry Potter. Is that even though there are the stakes are so ridiculously high and there's sci-fi elements and no one's ever really dead, you know he's got his relationship with MJ and that kind of was enough for me. Mm-hmm. It was enough for me to be emotionally invested in him and his plight. And yeah, you know he could get kind of bashed around and kicked and almost be killed, but it didn't matter because I, I was rooting for them too, you know, and I was rooting for him fighting with the other two Spider-Men which I knew was going to happen uh, and I yeah again that's a that's a nostalgia thing like the the fact that there was the other two in there so yeah that that's on my list um sorry I'll quickly go, no, for, go the for other it. No, two I'm enjoying it it's a good yeah uh Iron Man uh, again I, so yeah it's in there for me as well yeah, yeah yeah just um nice and grounded early early MCU early enough for it to feel fresh uh Robert Downey Jr hadn't really been in, I hadn't seen him in a lot and so he was a real like pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. It's not heavily computer generated at least the first half the bit in the cave is largely like practical and that's you know I I always appreciate that I think that's really difficult and it's a really bold move. Yeah. There there was one scene which really I was like okay wow that's fucking good acting the bit where he's like Tony Stark was able to build this in a cave with a bunch of scraps I was like who is that uh, Jeff Bridges Jeff Bridges yeah I was like Jesus Christ that okay I'm loving this I'm loving this (laughs) yeah yeah. Um, yeah, just a decent uh, MCU entry for me Um, third one quickly Guardians of the Galaxy Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't expect that for some reason. Me neither. I don't I th- know why. I thought about it last night and I was like, you know what? I did fucking lo- I love that film. Um, it was it, it was kind of irreverent enough and it had a wicked soundtrack and which was unusual for Marvel. Uh, mm. Marvel films, by and large, the mm-hmm. the, so, the the music is shit. Uh, <laughs> this wasn't. This had like songs in it, and I liked that about it. Um, anyway, I just thought it was. It's probably one of the funniest as well. Yeah, I think it had enough sort of personality and attitude to it. I mean, I, I, you know, 
I, I don't have particular reverence for it myself personally, but mm. I think um, it had enough attitude in it to suggest that it was different enough to everything else. Yeah, and, I, and I, yeah, I agree with that. Really, that that those choices. What about you then, mate? What's uh, your choices? Well, I said I agree with you. Now I'm going to give you completely different ones. No, <laughs> I agree with you about Iron Man. Yeah. Fresh, new. I think there's a thematic area, a very thematic. Imp- interest to it as well about sort of the weapons and stuff yeah yeah, yeah. Tony yeah. Stark sort of wrestling with his the morality of his of his business and his yeah. family's legacy mm. and then turning into a weapon himself which is contradictory <laughs> um, uh, but I guess all superheroes you have to rely on the morality of the superhero don't you you can't necessarily yeah. you know you have to hope that he's good <laughs> yeah <laughs> otherwise it sort of undoes the whole yeah. well, it already is undone but mm. it undoes it further but yeah no I, I like the first Iron Man again we had no you know as we alluded to at the start of the Marvel discussion there is you know you had no idea it was going to get that far mm. um, so at that point it did feel fresh and it, you, you weren't sort of scoffed at by people that wear tortoiseshell glasses and scarves in July <laughs> for saying that you liked it. Yeah. My other choice would probably be Captain America the Winter Soldier. Okay. Yeah. Uh another film that had a vague thematic richness to it, which I quite liked. It obviously borrowed from It's a lot about uh, politics of the United yeah, States, isn't it? It's yeah. sort of like paranoia. It tried to resurrect that sort of Cold War paranoia, the you know, parallax view, all the president's men, and stuff it, albeit largely pretty crudely into a into a superhero narrative a marvel superhero narrative but i appreciated the intention it did channel that energy a little bit yeah um because i think you know comic books by and large can channel the energy of the history quite quite well yeah the film's attempt to at least do that i thought was somewhat commendable um and then obviously it falls apart in the the explosive third act but you know what can you do that's what you should expect (laughs) Uh, and then the third one would probably be Black Panther. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Again, I don't think it's a, a masterwork. I don't think it's a film that is in any way. Well, I think it is different in many ways, and I think one of the. But I don't think sort of structurally it is too different. No, no, no. As far as origin stories go, yeah. I know they had uh, Black Panther in uh, Civil War, um, so it wasn't his first sort of outing in in the MCU, as it were. But I think what I, what I admired most about him. Chadwick Boseman's portrayal and I think the energy of the film was obviously it was a huge cultural moment yeah um, for obvious reasons the whole film is I mean so heavily concerned with culture yeah that's a lot Afrofuturism and all yeah. that sort of stuff and it's an incredibly empowering experience mm. uh, and what I like about it as well is that within that is that it, it spoke to me for the first time I think since the MCU had started about the, what the power of a superhero actually is mm. in the sense that it can inspire people and, yeah. and give people hope yeah you know i remember i worked at a cinema for a long time <laughs> and i'd see loads of kids all come in with that on and i just thought you know i don't know like it just felt more impactful than, than people dressing up as batman or you just got a sense this character was really important to a lot of people and i yeah. think i don't know it spoke to me as to the power of the superhero because i think that's been watered down by mm. the mcu substantially yeah okay um so yeah they're my, my they're my three picks um mm, nice yeah, like it. Yeah, so I mean, you know, again, these aren't films. I, I've never put them in like a top films list. I'd never say that they were they're my favourite films, but never get the don't get the steel book. Yeah, no, <laughs> but... certainly not. No, yeah. but um, yeah, I don't know. They're, they're definitely worth trying to pick them up because it's an interesting exercise, isn't it? Oh man, yeah, I, I really it, enjoyed it, and yeah. it works to a, ca- to a nice counterpoint to a sort of slagging it off the last fucking. Yeah, like, I, I, you got to acknowledge hour. that it's a little bit more complex than we were perhaps laying out at the beginning, and you know every. There's diamonds in the rough, 
Uh, yeah, and and that's that's a good thing. I think again, if you think about the detractors and the dissenting voices that continue to grow as as Marvel's popularity grows, is that you know I think whilst a lot of their concerns are merited, mm. and I think we've done a pretty good job of airing those criticisms <laughs> out, but I think there's always going to be a degree of pomposity behind it. It almost derails the credibility of that argument in the eyes of people that like it in many ways. I mean, it was, it was part of it was slightly Scorsese's fault that that sort of the, the idea of it being a pompous <laughs> to, yeah, to dislike yeah. these films because a lot of people viewed him as a you know, like I said before, sort of a, a, a prestigious filmmaker. Weirdly made Marvel difficult to criticise for a while. Yeah, um, it's funny because I was reading a lot of articles about that. Obviously, that was a really big conversational point. Uh, for a long time mm. and I remember reading this article it's debate between these two people one of which was more sympathetic to Scor- Scor- Scorsese's views the other person was team Marvel all the way but she was saying well you know it's a bit contradictory that he could say that when he has benefited from that same studio system oh, okay. which is a sort of interesting argument but I would still counter argue that whilst every single fucking film obviously the people who invest in that film want profit yeah, Marvel films are far more concerned with profit than Martin Scorsese's films have ever been. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, he needs profit to keep working as a filmmaker. I mean, you have to be honest with yourself about that. Yeah, and we're not on the cutting room floor or in the meetings with board members, so he might have made changes to facilitate that. Maybe early on in his career, I don't know. But I think it seems like a bit of a, a cheap swipe. I think. Yeah, yeah. I think you can still criticize something from within a system. Yeah, uh, certainly if you're someone like Scorsese that has created so many landmark moments mm. quickly yeah. uh before we move on to sort of talking more about ant-man uh yeah as we said probably the shortest part of the discussion <laughs> no pun intended there, actually. yeah we thought we'd just discuss some non-mcu superhero films because as as we sort of alluded to earlier there are obviously some superhero films that were around for a long time before this idea of one large interconnected sprawling universe yeah yeah multimedia platform spanning me you know multiverse shit weird stuff yeah, yeah. um so we thought we'd knock off a couple of those so yeah. ben lead all right please. i'll say all three shall i yeah uh, go on first one uh really like i mean talked about this earlier original spider-man sam raimi's spider-man 2002 got a big personal connection to this it was the first film i remember coming out of and i wanted to be that superhero <laughs> uh and I just think it translates from... I don't read comic books, like I say, but it does have a feel, the feel of being light enough that it's a comic book, but dark enough that there's real stakes. It's got some really wicked performances in it, notably like Willem Dafoe, mm. genius casting. Um, mm. Macho and, Man Randy Savage. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Can't believe I forgot him. Yeah. <laughs> Career-defining performance. Yeah. And it just, um, yeah, it was just, like I said, it introduced me to superheroes. Yeah. (laughs) You have, uh, are we think superheroes in general? Because if it's general superheroes, Batman Begins. Not enough enough people give that film the credit it deserves because The Dark Knight came out and everyone thought it was so much better, which it is in a lot of respects. But Batman Begins is, of the three, the blockbuster. It is just the quintessential blockbuster. Like Chef's Kiss, it's got everything in it, and it's also morally complex. And yeah, Nolan, uh, quite early Nolan, two thousand and four, still. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. it's him flexing his muscles, and that's fascinating. And finally, you got to mention X Men too, uh, yeah. because it's again inhabits that kind of moral grey area. It has a lot to say about 
marginalized people right well, yeah. so it, yeah, yeah. yeah it treats that it treats the people with powers as as something to be feared or, or well it doesn't treat them as something to be feared it's yeah they, they've been marginalized right they've been pushed to the fringes of society and that that explored that particularly the second one explored that really really nicely i thought okay. nice. uh, yeah. shout out to angley's hulk as well i like i like it more than most people don't know why uh, uh, I, yeah. I sort of get where you come from with that i don't know yeah. what it is about it i don't know it's just i mean it's been years since i've seen it but i remember thinking this isn't as bad as everyone says it is yeah i um i went out got again left the cinema wanted to be hulk well, there we go. So it did the it job. worked. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what about you then, mate? Uh, I'm going to echo uh, all of them. No, uh, the original, <laughs> no. the original, <laughs> the original Spider-Man. Okay, huge nice. moment. I yeah. just think it has everything that a superhero origin story should have in, yeah. in a film. I think mm. it's perfect. The perfect origin story. Definitely. Really good soundtrack. Danny Elfman uh, sounds like oh, a spider. Yeah, 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 yeah. It just sounds like a spider, and I'm like, that's genius. Like, it's yeah. sort of that kind of same level um, iconic as Danny Elfman's Batman theme. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah, which yeah. would lead me to number two, which is probably Tim Burton's Batman. Tim Burton's Batman. Yeah. Oh shit, I didn't think of that. Too I just late. think I just I, what I like about it is peak Tim Burton. Um, you know his ability to handle sort of darker themes in a way that's sort of silly. Yeah. It's silly. It's a really oh, silly yeah. film, but it's and it speaks more to the ideas, the more sort of palatable ideas of the Batman character, I think. Yeah. yeah. I like Nolan's Batman films. I, I don't hold them to a, as high regard as many people do. Yeah. Uh, I love the character. I, I'm not saying that the dark iterations don't work for me, but I just think the way Burton balances that darkness or offsets that darkness with goofiness works really well. I think, yeah. The Dark Knight is a great song that's been overplayed, basically. I mm, think I think mm. it's been talked about too much. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I mean, I would just as, as a brief aside, I mean, I think we, we, sort of, we, we I'm looking forward to actually talking about Nolan because we've sort of talked about him a couple of times on this podcast, but mm. it's one of his better films purely because it's not sort of wrapped up in itself like a lot yeah, of his films are, tend yeah. to be yeah i mean it is a little bit it is constantly saying look at this heat but with batman yeah you know <laughs> so i guess there's an element to it but yeah. it's something simpler about it but I, you know i don't dislike the film mm. but um yeah i just think burton's version of that to my mind is probably the best version of the character on the screen that we've seen so far ah you're looking forward to him coming back old keaton or is it uh a- i mean <laughs> i mean who fucking knows man i mean yeah. I, I think um DC, you know, we 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 spoke about franchises that have tried to ape Marvel and failed miserably. Yep. I think uh, DC have obviously are one of those, mm-hmm. um, not without their fans. But I know James Gunn. Obviously, you mentioned um, yeah. Guardians. He's like the new CEO of development at DC. Yeah, yeah, it's bizarre. He's like almost completely jumps ship. It's almost like. Guns sacking and rehiring from Marvel's, or maybe like left a bad taste in his mouth. I don't know. I mean, he came yeah. back and directed Guardians three, which you know, range to see how that was. I mean, yeah. I thought Guardians two was shite, so mm. can't make it worse than that. But <laughs> personally, but um, I don't know. I, I it, it'd be interesting to see where they take that. And I think the whole point of the Flash is it's going to sort of initiate that re rebirth. Yeah, because they do that with DC. They'll just go, oh, let's make a new Justice League, get Flash to run backwards in time for a bit. <laughs> Yeah. It has the same problems Marvel has about oh, just God. being able to like constantly sort of never fucking end anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I guess with comic books, you can sort of forgive it for that. Mm. Uh, the comic books themselves, I mean. Nice. Uh, and I guess the third, I was sort of struggling, but I would say one of the Christopher Reeves Superman films. Oh, uh, yeah. I think two. Yeah, 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 definitely. Just that sense of humour to them again. And I think 
Reeves is just fucking brilliant. Mm. A Superman. They got I, such I, charm. I don't think he's been bettered. No, I agree. I mean, I like... I thought Cavill was okay. I think he was just poorly utilised by Snyder. Yeah. Uh, and who else is there? Who's the, um, uh, the Superman... Tom Welling in Smallville. Tom Welling in Smallville. <laughs> oh, of course, we've got uh, Dean Cain. Oh yeah, okay. Dean Cain. He was yeah, he was he was Superman, wasn't he? Dean Cain. D- yeah, w- w- I can't remember which one. With Terry Hatcher. Oh, okay. what's that called? Um, bear with us. <laughs> oh yeah, in the uh, in the. TV series Lewis O'Clock, The New Adventures of Superman. There we go. Yeah. Actually, might be better than Reeve. Christopher Reeve. Yeah. No, not at all. And who was uh, in. Um, did Brian Singer do a Superman? Oh, yeah, Brandon Ralph. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. I mean, uh, I don't think he was particularly bad, but. Yeah, I. Not particularly I, memorable either. No, I remember very. I remember there being a good plane crash in it. Didn't a bullet get squashed in his eye? Yeah, that's right. That's and one of those scenes that sounds good on paper until you do it. And it looks fucking shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just gross. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, they'll probably be my three. Nice, I like those. And again, again, I stress that. I stress that I like superhero. The idea of superheroes, mm. and I get frustrated with with Marvel's handling of them. Yeah, because they have made them. I, again, I think they've made them a bit childish. But that's just my view. Mm. Um, finally, Ant Man. On the subject of childish, yes, Ant Man plus the Wasp colon Quantum Mania. Yes. Mm. I'm going to come out swinging and say that I didn't like the film very much at all on the basis that, I don't know, they, they, they sort of Marvel posture about this sort of like the evolution of the storytelling formula that they've sort of cultivated over the last 20 or so years. Has it been 20 years? I think it might have been. I can't remember. Who cares? Uh, yeah, roughly. Roughly? Yeah. Um, but it just show, I think to me it says something more about the fact they're regressing. I think they've just... It's infantile. Mm. It's like you know the, the the design choices, the 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 attempts to make me laugh. I mean, the opening monologue and closing monologue. It's like the bookend the film. Yeah, I'm going. I didn't get a lot about life. What the fuck's that about? Like, oh yeah, like yeah. it's just you know like, and again like I know I go into a Marvel film and I fucking you know I, I even when I sort of half liked them I took the critical hat off. I try to do that the same here because mm. I just think you know I'm not you're not going to get like anything more than that theme park ride. Yeah, but yeah. But, like, even by those standards, I thought, fucking hell, like, it, this is poor. This is really poor. I mean, it's not, like, offensive. And it, we said that, didn't we, when we yeah, came out? Like, yeah. It wouldn't anger me. No. <laughs> and I saw some merit in it, but I just thought, this, I don't know, this feels young. Really young. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. Is pitched really low. Mm, it did. It was, um, going back, quickly back to the design choices, uh, and this has been kind of, spoken about quite a lot already in the sort of critical consensus but uh, the quantum realm was really uninspired yeah, like yeah, ju- yeah it just looked like fucking charlie in the chocolate factory or something yeah you know i mean there was nothing new to it and and they've got all these tools at their disposal and probably hundreds of people working on all these designs and all they could think of was just a star wars bar yeah, and, and like yeah. a just glowing clouds in the distance. Um, yeah, didn't and it, they didn't they didn't feel grounded in it either. I don't think the visual effects were bad, but I think the fact that it was we were saying yesterday it kind of felt like it was shot in a cupboard a little bit. Yeah, um, and you can tell it just they they just clearly not reacting to anything, and it, that fell flat. And once you take that away from certainly when you take that away from me, like 
it's hard. You got to have a fucking good story there, and there wasn't one. <laughs> yeah, you know? I mean, I remember right at the start of the rebirth of Cinder Boys to Cinema, we spoke about the potential that mm. this technology has. Yeah, and it's just being wasted in these sort of cookie cutter design choices. I don't know, like, yeah. and it doesn't seem the quantum realm is supposed to be this place of madness, right? It's going to take. It's going to take the Marvel Universe further away from whatever sort of remotely grounded ideals that it had. Yeah, yeah. But, like, the world that they're going into feels no different to, like, Guardians or any other yeah. worlds they've already built. Like, exactly. it looks exactly the fucking same. Mm. So, like, I, I think there's something that's not necessarily just Marvel's fault. I mean, I could think, you think about, like, a, um, Inception, you know, it's about dreams within a dream. Mm. All people dream about is fucking, like, <laughs> cityscapes. Snowmobiles. Snowmobiles, and yeah, 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 yeah. Like... You know, this is obviously a problem that is in wider blockbuster cinema because yeah. if you go full fucking wacky, yeah, probably won't sell as many, no. <laughs> as many tickets. But I just think you have so much potential, and I think you're absolutely right. I think it completely spunks it up the wall. Yeah, I um, mean, just from a scientific point of view, briefly, I know th- these films are totally unconcerned with actual science, but like, if, <laughs> <laughs> if you were if you were shrunk down to an infinitesimally small. Ooh. size <laughs> yeah there wouldn't be any ground like there wouldn't be anything for you to stand on and they could have explored that notion I, th- I think like the, the fact there probably wouldn't be any gravity or anything yeah, that would be yeah. really interesting they got the money to do it yeah. they got the technology to do it yeah why Why not try it? Like That would be really yeah. visually interesting. So even if you can't be asked with a script, that doesn't matter. I'll still be there watching that and, th- and think, like, that was real... That was two hours of visual splendour. And they just... I don't know. They didn't do it. Um, yeah. I, I wanted to also discuss Kang a little bit because... One I, of the stronger elements of the film, maybe? Yeah. yeah. Performance-wise, Performance, perhaps. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, performance by Jonathan Majors. Yeah. Uh, it's, again, it's been said. He, he is rather good. Um, but the character, what are his powers? Like, I, I never, I never yeah. quite got that from the film. Like, what can he do and what can't he do? That's surely what that's what defines a superhero and a villain, right? So mm-hmm. you've got Superman; he can fly and he's impervious to bullets and stuff. You've got Spider Man; he can shoot webs out, and Ant Man can shrink. Like, what? What's his thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's strange, and I think the we said, didn't we, before the post credit sequence when the film ended, and we were saying, well. The, They've written themselves into the bit of a hole here because spoilers. Mm. They they seem to beat this guy pretty fucking quickly and pretty fucking easily. Yeah, yeah. Given that this guy's supposed to be like the big bad that's going to come to sort of terrorize the next generation of the Avengers and yeah. But and then of course they write their way out of it with as you mentioned that sort of aforementioned sort of limitlessness that just allows them to sort of say, well, there's actually loads of versions of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there'll probably be some like interview with the writer we said well actually he was close to this star that made him uh, weaker do you know what I mean yeah, there'll be some yeah, fucking yeah. excuse because they did that with Thanos didn't they I, tried, yeah. I can't remember why they said why was he weaker in the first film and the second film and they had some sort of fucking throwaway excuse that in the context of the superhero world worked yeah, and people yeah, bought yeah, yeah. and it's like well yeah I guess that makes sense All I right. guess but yeah. I mean and I guess you shouldn't really criticise it too much for that because that's just the nature of the beast but I don't know I felt that Having Ant-Man, look, I mean, I think he's quite a cool idea for a superhero, mm. but he has often been the character that has been used by the franchise as the butt of the joke. Yeah. The way the other characters interact with him in like the sort of big uh, multi-hero events, yeah. he's the butt of the joke. Mm. He's the shit one. Yeah. And yet all of a sudden he's like 
absolutely battering the shit out of this guy that's supposed to be the be-all end-all for this new direction. Yeah. It just doesn't work for me. And, mm. and I just felt that, I mean, I'm like I said, they're going to explain their way out of it because they can. Yeah. There's probably some guy like sat at a typewriter, hasn't slept for like 48 hours, wearing a fedora, <laughs> panicking, <laughs> desperately trying to sort of scour yeah. the law for some bullshit excuse. But I don't know. I just don't know how it's going to set. Because we said that, didn't we? Yeah. How is that going to set things up? Mm. For, for the for the future of this of this franchise, yeah, moving just, forward, if the villain is beaten by the book, the joke, yeah, so beaten by Deus Ex Machina as well, yeah, 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 <laughs> just yeah. really, oh, all the ants just go and drag them away. Spoilers, yeah. uh, who cares? Spoilers, man. <laughs> um, yeah, it just uh, the handling of him and, and the way that they took it. I didn't think he was going to die at all. I thought, uh, if anything, it would be more interesting if he won. Yeah, a little bit of luck yeah. at the end of Infinity War. That was one of the more ballsier moves by by Marvel was to just end Infinity War on such a fucking downer I was like yeah, yeah. okay I'm excited for the next one now but not not because you've shown shown me a teaser trailer in the form of a post credit scene but because there's something genuinely tragic that's happened I thought they were going to do that again uh, and they didn't they, they yeah. got rid of him I was like oh so there's a conclusion to this guy's story already why <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what are you doing yeah. and yeah, I don't know strange uh, mm. Rudd's okay I mean, you yeah. know, he, he, coasting a bit, maybe. I think so. I yeah. think, mo- do you know what? I, I'm beginning to think that a lot of these long-standing characters are, are doing that. I think they're totally mm. fucking coasting, man. Oh, I don't blame them because the contracts they're sort of bound to are, are ridiculous. Because you get the impression with all of them, like it started off really fucking exciting. Yeah. I think, with the exception of like um, Tony. Uh, Tony Stark, that's his real name, yeah. Robert Downey Jr. Like, obviously, he was the poster boy of the whole franchise. So I think mm. he had that boundless enthusiasm for a character that essentially saved his career. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think if you look at the others, like, I don't know, like, they just seem a bit more, get to be progressively more and more tired as it goes on, <laughs> yeah. particularly after Endgame. Yeah. Like, you've got, like, Thor. I mean, I thought Love and Thunder was pretty poo. Mm. For, for various reasons, but I think they just everyone just seemed really disinterested in what was going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think people were just sort of phoning it in at this point. I don't know. Maybe I'm just sort of deliberately perceiving it as that to suit my sort of growingly negative view. Yeah. Or my growing negative view on the franchise. But they're just sick of Atlanta. I bet they're fucking shooting in Atlanta. Yeah. All, all yeah. of them are shot in a soundstage in Atlanta, and they just I imagine having to fly back there and be like, All right, next one. Yeah. It's like. Yeah, it's like going to work in a factory. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's strange. Uh, Evangeline Lily. I mean, it's funny they've called two th- two films Ant Man and the Wasp, and she has next to no character development in both films. <laughs> yeah, it's weird that. Yeah. Um, I was confused as to why they called the second one Ant Man and the Wasp, and um, yeah, she doesn't get given much to do. No, no. neither does Michelle Pfeiffer actually. Uh, She's just an exposition dump device, yeah, isn't she? Yeah, big Which, time. We were talking about that again. We were saying, weren't we, that Marvel has this track record of like getting in these actors that aren't obviously the, the main characters, but these big, prestigious actors, mm. uh, and just treating, just using them purely to just drop exposition onto the audience and then dying or disappearing. Or, yeah, Bill Murray in this film, yeah, yeah. A classic example. Del Toro, um, Benicio del Toro and Guardians. Yeah, yeah, you know, like these like reputable faces that just turn up, get a check. Mm. Get a bit of applause from. Talk, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about the law for a bit and yeah. then die or yeah. fuck off somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, strange film. I think it's. I, I, I'm interested to see where they go from here because 
they really they Marvel have struggled since the end of the, yep. the, 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 the sort of definitive arc. A lot of people didn't like Black definitive. Widow and that. You know. Yeah, Black Widow wasn't great, was it? I felt no. like, like a missed opportunity to do something interesting there. Mm, yeah, me too. And they, they sort of like frittered over like really boring, uninteresting character dynamics and relationships when they yeah. could have done... I don't know, I felt like there's like... You could have made like a fucking spy movie, you know what I mean? Like yeah. a proper spy movie. Obviously, yeah. it was never going to be a proper spy movie because it's a fucking Marvel movie, but at least they could have tried. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Love and Thunder, not great. Uh, Taika Waititi's style is grating. It's becoming yeah. grating. We've spoke about this a few times, haven't we? We have, yeah, just... But no, it, it, it's lost its charm. It's It has... hasn't. It's been without charm for, for some time now, I think. And I didn't even really get on with the... Um, what was this, the other Thor film he did? Thor, uh, the third one. Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok. I, I didn't even... I turned off after 20 minutes, so, which is weird because a lot of people loved it. Um, And, yeah, by that point, I was just like, I'm not getting... I, I'm not getting the jokes, really. I, I thought it was really tiresome. Yeah, um, I think too much of anything is a problem, and I think his style is one of those things if, if overindulged upon is a problem, mm. and he's in fucking everything. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, He's literally yeah. in fucking everything. He's directing everything. He's in everything. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know, like... I mean, it just sounds like I'm sort of ragging on him. I don't really have any... I, you know, I liked his earlier stuff. Um, I wasn't wild for it, but I liked it. He People but, are still seeing him for his humble beginnings. Yes. And yes. And he, I mean, his first film was so sincere and humble. Yes. That he, he, he kind of earned a, a free pass for a, a long time. And actually, it, it seemed like it might have been a bit of a one-off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hunt for the Wilder People, I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, since then, it's been a big brash and a bit confusing for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Black Panther 2, I think that was... It was bold to open the story about the loss of Chadwick Boseman. Yes. Um, but again, I don't think... You know, it just didn't really feel that after that it had much else to offer. Eternals did, is notable for its failure. Flop. Yeah, And that's yeah. a really sad... I think that's probably the saddest film of the lot, I think, because mm. Marvel were like, right, you know, we've we've finished this arc. We're going to try and silence the people that say we, we won't diversify our portfolio. Yeah. They get Chloe Zhao in, who's known for these sort of slow-paced narratives about people on the fringes of American society. Yeah. And they're going to give a, a allegedly complete creative control to craft this film about like a new group of super powerful individuals yeah and it just you know the pacing and all that i mean it's fuel to the fire that is a real yeah, shame i yeah. really wanted to do well marvel ceo is gonna look at that and think yeah. well we're not doing that again yeah exactly yeah bring yeah. in peyton reed yeah <laughs> <laughs> i am man's uh no sorry i'm man's fucking shrinking again for a bit yeah i don't know uh, the what? What was that weird head in it? What was that? Mordock. Mordock. Yeah, yeah. Um, Horrible. Uh, really nasty to look at. Apparently, he's meant to be nasty to look at, but um, they got that wrong. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Just, just really bizarre, unpleasant, uh, and the butt of a lot of really stupid, unfunny jokes as well. Yeah, and again, representative of another thing that Marvel films do. And again, it speaks to right back at the start of this episode. I mean, if you're still fucking listening, thank you. <laughs> but, you know, we talked about the this, this sort of. The, the way that Disney treats morality and the simplicity. Mm. You've got these characters that are hell-bent on slaughtering each other, yeah. having like one half-baked, desperately unfunny line of dialogue completely changed their entire moral compass. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. No. You know? Mm. Marvel do that a lot anyway. Yeah, no. It turns off like a character giving a rousing speech to loads of like completely sort of superfluous 
sort of like weirdly or poorly designed characters and then they sort of all of this oppression mm. in the context of this film all of these weird characters that are oppressed by Kang in this alternate universe suddenly after the speech of one person they barely know suddenly decide to fight this oppressive force I don't know mm. I guess it's it suits Marvel's intentions but it's just narratively unconvincing yeah I think so losers like us <laughs> um, I guess finally you know a whistle stop tour there through the film and the resorting landscape. But yeah, where do you see it going? And do you think that this continued domination is going to have an impact, a negative impact on the wider landscape? Because that's uh, one of the big concerns, isn't it? I think yeah. people that throw shade at these films, uh, especially now, now a lot of the heavy hitters have gone mm. and Marvel is stumbling to find their feet. Um, and a lot of people are calling for its head. Yeah. But they keep going. And to be fair, the popularity seems to still be there. Yeah, Ant-Man's done quite well. Yeah, Financially yes. speaking, it's doing yeah, what all right. Do what do we fucking know then, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, is it going to stop people that go to the cinema? I mean, I don't know if many people go to the cinema sort of thinking, I don't know what I'm going to watch. Uh, and they have to pick between Ant-Man and, like, I don't know, like an independent film. Like or... Women Talking or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Weird choice to choose from. <laughs> yeah. But I, someone like me would choose between those two perhaps if that if they were the two things like playing in in a cinema uh spare a couple of hours on a thursday yeah exactly i would be like it would be a toss-up um i think the problem is is there's so many of them there's so many of these films and they come out so often they basically ruin the weekend for any other any other film coming out that weekend and you could guess it just invites films that otherwise might be seen more widely to kind of disappear into into the mud a little bit mm. uh, and that that's troubling to me because the way films get advertised these days can be quite overwhelming and then for the sort of smaller independent films that someone like me might be more interested in i will literally not know they exist <laughs> yeah, until yeah. maybe one of you guys mentions them uh, and that's a shame i really i really think i've i'm gonna predict this now i think Marvel, the MCU is going to end with a whimper. I do. Oh wow! Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they're going to have a big grand finale. I don't think they're going to have that ending. I think people will eventually stop, and they'll make a few more, and then all of a sudden, one of them will make less than two hundred million dollars, and that'll be it. Like interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because in the in the defense of superhero films, James Gunn, who is obviously one of the big fucking like poster poster mm. directors for the superhero genre yeah. compared the the superhero genre to the western mm. and I guess it was in conceit and I don't necessarily agree with that in the sense of that the superhero uni- uh, the MCU is sp- sprawling and interconnected in the way that westerns aren't yeah uh, which I think is a notable enough difference to put distance between the comparison okay uh, however it must have been strange in the 30s and 40s people like John Wayne ever envisioning this idea that the western wouldn't be popular yeah yeah and eventually it will not be popular and yeah. marvel films won't be mm. and i think the way westerns adapted was that they became self-reflective and even self-critical yeah not just of the genre but the the ideals that the genres upheld so maybe marvel will go that way maybe maybe they'll become like self-critical and and sort of 
uh, genuinely self-critical. Yeah, yeah. Not, not just that stupid humour kind of. Yeah, what, yeah. Like actually reflective. Yeah, yeah. That'd oh be my, really interesting. Oh my god! There's, there's. I'm finding aliens now. Yeah, like, oh, fuck yeah. off. Not like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do it properly. Fuck off. Um, I was just weirdly Red Dead Redemption popped into my head. I'm like that's the way the Western went eventually. It's like a really interesting comment on the end you know the end of end of an era the, the end of a time yeah yeah yeah. if you think about films like you know the man who shot liberty valance or yeah which is quite early you know in 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 the sort of decline of the western but then you know to films like the wild bunch you know in in the sense that you know they started to critique the heroism and or the ideas that every cowboy was a hero these yeah. weren't nice people necessarily no. so i don't know it'd be interesting to see where it goes mm. uh I think that it's really a really complicated thing, and it's a bit of a shame that we've started to decided to discuss this so near the end of the podcast. <laughs> I'm already aware that this has probably gone on for fucking ages. Oh, that's right. Uh, so sorry about that, <laughs> but um, I think that the superhero genre undoubtedly helped to keep cinema alive. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, in a way that few genres probably could have done. Yeah, uh, and indeed Disney's ownership of everything. Uh, you know. On the popularity of all of their uh, sort of strongest assets has kept cinema going in in one sense. Yeah. But in the other sense, this idea the money trickles down to fund smaller projects. I'm not convinced by that. Definitely not in the as, case of Disney. They're, no. They wouldn't. I don't think. They've Why got would a they? dreadful track record of original content. Although, yeah. Like I said, all they do is harvest other intellectual property. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That has either lapsed into the public domain or is just about cheap enough. Yeah. Which, in yeah. the context of Disney, isn't that cheap. No, exactly. <laughs> but they yeah. can afford it. And yeah, that that's the. You know, that's the way they do things. Yes. Yeah. They they harvest. They don't really. I don't think they really create that much. They, they're just. They're just harvesters. Yeah. Of. Yeah, it's certainly in the in, from the boardroom sense in in mm. the boardroom. Yeah, yeah, and it, I also think that it's um it it takes the space away from from other films, as we said in mm. in the release in the release schedule, yeah. and people's mind is consumed by these films. I'd be interested to see what happen happens when that stops happening. What, what happens next? I guess time will only tell. To end on a shit mm. <laughs> statement. Hopefully it's a boom or bust situation so when they get bust the others will boom so we'll get more like Donnie Darko's and stuff. Maybe. Which costs one million uh, so you could have made 200 Donnie Darko's with the money that it costs to make Ant-Man. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just make the same film 200 times. Yeah that would be great I love <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> right well thank you for sticking with us for that one it's a longie but mm. uh, yeah thank you very much. Yeah. Questing the cinematic Okay, uh, so that was a long one. It was the longest to to date. I yes, think. I think so. Yeah, I mean, Alfie's not here now, so he can't sort of rein us in. <laughs> no, yeah, that <laughs> was really short. That. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah. A, like we don't even, not even negatively. I just mean he's really good at keeping you know discussions lean. Yeah, keeping the ball rolling. Yeah, we, we, we just wax on and just no. in some sort of rudderless manner. <laughs> uh, yes, but anyway, thank you for getting to this point. Thank you for listening as always. Uh, next week. Uh, we are not going to discuss a film in particular. We're going to go for an episode centred on another topic. Yeah. A lot of really nice feedback from people about our last episode regarding nostalgia, so oh, it feels nice. like a r- nice time to do that. Okay. Um, the topic we're going to discuss is existentialism in cinema. That sounds lofty, doesn't it? It does. We sort of need to sort of uh, pull back some sort of 
sort of discourse gravitas after spending an hour and a half talking about the same film. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, yeah, you know, we're going to be talking about how these feelings of uncertainty and the great questions as to the meaning of our existence and how this clashes awkwardly with the throngs of the modern world mm. and how that is in, within a lot of us yeah. and how that is shared in lots of the characters and films and narratives that have perhaps helped shape that. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Fantastic. Can't wait. Looking yeah. Forward to it. can I. Mm. In the meantime, uh, see you later. See you later. Love bye. you lots. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.